And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course, and it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. We continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope, and we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com. What? Hey, Buzz. This is Joe Plummer. Who? Joe Plummer. I've been trying to get a tour story from you. Sorry, um, I've been bugging you a little bit, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Dale gave me I a number. I don't have time now. Uh, um, you just got to try me back. Okay, hold on. Okay, when's when's a good time? Buzz Osborne, or King Buzzo, has been in the rock and roll business for over 30 years. He's a founding member of Phantomos, played live with Tool, and guested on dozens of heavy art rock recordings. Most importantly, he's the singer, guitarist, and co-songwriter for what I believe to be one of the most important bands of our generation, The Melvins. In this episode, Buzz shares the story of the first Melvin's tour, how it shaped his career, and his outlook on life. From Ruinous Media, this is Tour Stories. So, when we started out around uh, 85, we did a tour down the West Coast, and then there was a total disaster. Yeah. And then... Um, we decided that we were going to do a tour with this band from Calgary called Beyond Possession. Mm-hmm. And Skate rock band, maybe? I suppose they would be, yeah. They're kind of verging on pseudo-speed metal, kind of. Yeah. Which we always like that kind of stuff. Um, I got along with most of the guys in the band. I think there was a few drug problems and things along those lines. And 
some other things that were going on, but I don't know, you know, maybe not. Um, but uh, we thought, well, they'd done this before. We'll go out with them. And we were going to go out with this other band um, at the same time called RKL. And so they were a band that I knew. I'd seen them play in Seattle. I really liked them. They were kind of like more of a hardcore band. And I'd say um, as far as like the California hardcore bands of like 83 through 85, they were probably the best one at that time with their original lineup, which is one I liked a lot. I thought I it was agree. really good, especially the first seven inch. But I didn't like the seven inch that much, but I really liked them live. Yes, I love them live. And well, were they on Mystic that first seven? They inch? were, but and that first one they had this guy named Vince playing bass, mm -hmm. Bomber playing drums, Chris playing guitar, and uh, um, Jason singing, and that was the that was the lineup I really liked. We were gonna hit the road to them, and um, you know we basically had to drive from Seattle. We didn't play a show till we got to El Paso. That was probably the better part of two weeks, you know, a week and a half at least. We drove down to, all the way down to San Francisco with this idea that we were going to maybe play at the On Broadway. And they just flat out told us, no way. Then we broke down. And so I think we missed another show. Our van was overheating really badly when we were in Palm Springs. This is the middle of summer. It was like yeah. 150 degrees. We had no air conditioning in our van. And so we had to just sit in Palm Springs until it got dark, sat in some parking lot. None of us have any money, hardly, you know, and you're basically surviving on uh, Mars bars that, you know, split a Coke type of thing. Um, and so we go, wait till it got dark and then inched our way over the hill to Phoenix. And we were supposed to go to Chris Novoselic, the guy from Nirvana. He had moved to Phoenix looking for work, but didn't have a phone. All we had was an address. And so we showed up there about two o'clock in the morning. And he'd been expecting us for like a day and a half or longer. And, um, was just like, where are you guys? You know, what the hell's been going on? Well, no way to get a hold of you. So this is what happened to us. And then we just talked to him for, we stayed there maybe an hour and then just drove all the way to El Paso. And we got to El Paso and that's when we found out, I think it was then that we found out that the Beyond Possession guys had canceled and we're not going to go. So we were going to go with the RKL guys. We're like, okay. You know, so then um, we get to El Paso and the bit place is basically, it's an abandoned building completely abandoned with all the walls are just blown out of it and there's rubble laying everywhere and we basically have to drag our shit in and then set up on this stage sort of and there's maybe 20 people there just a rat infested nightmare it was not a club it was just i don't know how they even had power played to like 20 people and i think each of the bands got five bucks you know and uh the RKL guy seemed okay, and then we took off from there and uh, drove all night. Uh, and I watched the RKL guys get in a big fight with each other about wiper blades because it started pouring rain. They didn't have any wiper blades in their van. And so, oh, fuck you, okay, fuck you, I'll do it. And they're going back and forth. You were supposed to, on and on. And so the drummer just walks across the street to this van over there and just strips this wiper blades off of the van and walks back over. There, I did it. <laughs> fuck you guys. They had stole, um, and I don't know where they had gotten them, but they had broken into a skate shop somewhere in Southern California. So their van was loaded up with all the skate gear that they were just stopping at skate shops and selling trucks and skateboards and everything. So they had money from that, so they were doing okay. But uh, uh, I never got the full details on it, but I know they stole them. They broke in somewhere. Those guys were, were not 
concerned about committing felonies at, at all. They came to terrorize the wisest of the wise. We drove from there all the way to Houston. So, so far we've left Washington. We've broke down. That cost us a bunch of money. Then we got to El Paso. We made $5, so about five bucks. And then we drove all the way to Houston. And we have nowhere to go. We have nothing, nowhere to go. And so we're following the RKL guys. And, and the singer this is just like, you can just come with us. And we're going to go to Barry, the guitar player's house. You can just stay, you can just stay with us. Great. Sounds great. We get outside of his parents' house, and he says, you guys can't stay here. Nope. No way. And he's just being a fucking dick about it. Just being a total dick about it. Finally, he relents. His mom and dad come out, or mom and whoever they are. I think his mom is like, go ahead and let it. What's, what's wrong with you? You know? And so we're like, okay, fine, whatever. And so, But Barry takes us aside when we get in the house and goes, that's fine, guys. But you can't shower here. You're not taking a shower here. All right. That's fine, whatever. And so, so the next morning we get up early, and his mom just goes, kind of, shh, shh, here's a couple of towels. Go, Barry's still asleep. You guys go ahead and take a shower. So thanks. And she makes us breakfast. She's super nice to us, you know. And uh, um, we had rented, um, what did we, we rented a John Waters movie that night to watch. I think it was uh, Desperate Living. And the next day, Barry just hands us the video and says, you guys have to go return this, you know. I don't even know where the video is. I don't care. Figure it out. Okay. So I go, I'll go return it and then we'll take off. So I just drive down the street and I think he'd rented it on his mom's credit card. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have any idea where this I'm looking. I can't find it. This is way before GPS or anything like that. I don't know where it is. So finally I just pulled over in a gas station, just threw it in a garbage can and just drove back. Done. Mission accomplished. So we go from there to the club in Houston that we're going to play. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was like Rick. You know, mm -hmm. I think let's say the promoter was Rick. We pull up to the club and in six foot high letters spray painted across the whole front of the club is Rick is a fucking asshole. Fuck Rick. It's all just spray painted everywhere. And the guy go, isn't that the name of the guy that's supposed to be doing the show? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Okay. This is going to be great. You know? So that was the first show, obviously the second show of the tour where there was actually some people at it and it was all skinheads and, um, they are not having us. They're not having any of our long haired shit. Lucan had pretty long hair. Me and Grover had medium length hair, but we were not skinheads by any means, you know? And I'd never seen stuff like that. I'd never really been around, I'd been around skinheads, but I'd never seen it on mass. Mm -hmm. It was like in Seattle, it was, a. Uh, and San Francisco, it was more, um, people kind of just looked however. You'd see guys that looked like the dead boys or or skinheads, or it all just didn't seem like it was all, it was all like a one big happy family. Even right. if you, everybody was hammered. Yeah. But uh, um, it was all skinheads, and they uh, just hated us, just hated us. And the only bright spot of the show was uh, during our show, we're playing, and I see from the front of the club, this gigantic cockroach 
is flying through the air. It's flying back over the over the skinheads. It's flying really, really, you know, awkwardly. Flies up and then turns around and lands on the ceiling, which is relatively low, right in the middle of the stage, right above us. So we're just like, whoa, this is huge. It's like half the size of a baseball, you know? And so we played the rest of our set with that thing just kind of sitting there crawling around. I never took my eyes off it because I was so worried it was going to drop on. It was so fucking weird. Never, you know. And nobody there seemed, eh, whatever. And then we we ended up staying that night. I don't know why we didn't go back to Barry's mom's house, but we stayed at some these two girls' houses. I would say it was a, one of the most filthy places I'd ever been in. They had cockroaches everywhere, literally everywhere in the place. And no air conditioning, middle of the summer, Houston, Texas. So it's like everything is like, I'd never felt humidity like that ever in my life. Um, these girls were druggy drunks who were ready to party, you know, and rarely wore clothes, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And uh, very accommodating. How about that? Okay. Um, and weren't worried about it. You know, it's like they were happy to, I mean, I don't care. I didn't give a shit. I had no interest in them. So um, the place was just a filthy nightmare. Like, I've never, I don't know how people live in that kind of, I've seen campsites that were way cleaner than that. You know, you'd have been a lot better off sleeping out in the streets. I've seen homeless people build shelters that were nicer. It was the filthiest thing. And they had this giant um, fish tank with these fish in it, this big fish. And it was just like it had never been clean. So it's just green, horrible. And there's some big kind of fish in it. And Dale picks up a cockroach off the ground and throws it in the tank. And this fish just swims up and argh, just bites it. You know, I don't remember if it ate it or not. That was pretty fun. I don't know. But uh, uh, finally, we got the hell out of there. And so we go through the South and we get to Pensacola, Florida. We decide to drive from New Orleans to Pensacola, Florida. The New Orleans show was actually the one town where the audience, it's like a, at the time for us, it was like an oasis in the South. It was the one town that really liked what we were doing. And they always have. We've always been really well-respected and had an audience in New Orleans from day one. First time we played there, which was weird because that was not the case everywhere else we went. Um. We met people that we have known since at that show. Right. You know, um, our set went good. We, you know, we weren't doing pretty much stuff off of Louis Port treatments that hadn't been recorded yet. I wrote a couple really slow songs when I got home after that, like I Flies after that tour in response to everything I'd been through on that trip. Uh, so we left there and we go, we'll drive to Pensacola. It's nice there. They have white sand beaches. This is the RKL guys talking. We can just sleep on the beach. I was like, okay, you know, well, sure. Let's go. So we drive there, and we uh, um, call the promoter. And we're like two days before the show. Early, you know? yeah. I've done that before. Yeah. And the promoter's like, well, what do you want me to do? They don't want to help you. No. You think they're going to help you for some weird reason. Or I did. You might as I well call. To. Yeah. And if you don't call, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So we go. He goes, I have a friend that you can stay with. You know? All of us? Yeah, everybody. Okay. So we head over there. And... Um, it's a guy who's you know maybe a little younger than us and his little brother and it's their they live with their mom at this it's a house but it's essentially like a trailer court almost you know it's a yard and there's these giant black burn places in the front yard where lightning has struck <laughs> boom you know well jesus i can't believe it so we're all there like a ramshackle trailer park it hasn't been kept up but it was a house but not a trailer park so it was not big we could park both vans in the driveway had a little fenced off yard 
And so the first night we get there, the mom is at work. Bomber, the driver Markel, decides, I'm going to go into town and buy some weed. And they've been trying to buy weed the whole time and striking out everywhere. I'm going to go down to this bar. Somebody said that we could get weed down there. I'm like, whatever. You know, we had all collectively bought one or two gallons of tequila. And so um, I was like, I'm good. Then the RKL guys whipped out this big, huge sheet of blotter acid. Like, who wants to take acid? I'm like, I'm in. Sure. Everybody takes acid, so everybody's on acid. Four RKLs plus a roadie guy, three of us plus a roadie guy. So then we're drinking tequila, and then the acid starts kicking in, and then those guys, Bomber says, I'm going downtown to buy weed. Okay. I thought it was a bad idea. I wouldn't, personally, wouldn't have done it, but they were just determined. Okay, fine. And they go down there, and uh, we just get higher and higher on acid sitting at this guy's mom's house, and she's not home yet. It's blazing hot outside. We uh, are tripping, like completely tripping on acid, and the mom comes home. And so she's there, and the bass player and Bomber and our bass player drove in the RKL van to go into town to buy weed. And so the mom comes home. She's there. We're all tripping on acid, but, you know, we're not, like, flipping out or anything, so she's not. She's like, what's going on? I can remember her being confused, and us just kind of, Everybody's tripped out and drunk, and uh, she doesn't seem overly concerned. And then they come in to the guy, Matt and the and the bass player. I think it was a bass player come in and go. Bomber got arrested. <laughs> he got busted <laughs> the second he bought weed. And so the mom's standing there. He's in jail, and she's and she's. You can just see her going, "What the hell is going on here?" And so we're like, "What?" We thought I thought they were kidding. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. He's in jail. I don't know what's going on. I'm pretty much incapacitated and me and Dale were looking at each other like, well, you know, um, but apparently he'd went into this bar, bought weed. They, he walked out of the bar and the cops immediately arrested him. So it sounds like it's total setup, you know, but whatever. So the RKL guys have this big stash of money from selling all these skateboard parts. So they have to go down and use every dime of the money they had to bail him out of jail. And that was, that was the end of it. Get him out, and I watch him. I'm never coming back to fucking Florida. Fuck this. Just rips up the rips up the summons to come back for, you know. He goes, we're leaving this. You know, once we get out of the state, that's it. So we were there for a few more shows. We went up the East Coast to New York, and then Bomber just, we played in New York. And the high point of that was that we played with um, Adrenaline OD, mm-hmm. who we really liked. Thought they were great. That was definitely the high point of the tour for me. Um, going to New York, that was fun. Was that the first time? First time I've been to New York. Yeah. And um, at that time, 85, 86, New York was not the same as it is now. It was a nightmare. It was n- just wide open drugs, crime ridden Manhattan. Lower Manhattan was just a mess. And uh, you couldn't leave your van. Right. You had to have somebody in it at yeah. all times or it would definitely get broken into. So... We played the show. It was great. We had a really good time there. That was fun. And then Bomber, the next day, goes to the airport and flies home. Gets his mom to send him a ticket. Now, that's a situation that me and Dale were ne- had, have never been in, where we could just, you know, magically a ticket will appear from, you know, manna from heaven from home. and Never going to happen. So he flies home, and they're just 
fucked, you know, the rest of the guys. Yeah. And so they go, that's it for us. We're just going to drive back to Santa Barbara, you know? So they just leave. So the tour ends. Well, we're stuck there, and we saw these shows. There's other shows. And so um, as we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, we get invited to go stay over in Brooklyn at these people's house. So I was like, okay, might as well go over there. And so we had a few more shows in the New England area and then one down in Philly. And uh, so we go to to Brooklyn, and um, I decide I'm still friends with the original Melvin's drummer. Mike Dillard, and I was going to go, and he said, call me Collect from the road. It'd be great. So I go down with Matt. Me and Matt walk down the street a ways the next morning. I call him. I'm on the phone. It's a crowded street in Brooklyn, somewhere. I don't remember even where. I never had any idea where I was at when I was there. But um, there's these people standing there. This car drives up. I'm sitting there looking through the phone booth right at all this stuff, right? This car, like an Impala, drives up and just unloads a gun like 10 feet from us right into this guy's back. Right, like 10 feet from us. Just shoots this guy, right? In his back. I'm like, I gotta call you back. Hang up the phone. And I step out of the phone booth and the guy is like, walks right over to me and standing right in front of me, like staring right at, I'm like right in front. And he's like completely in shock. And he's just staring at me with this, like, you know, horrified look on his face. But, like, he's obviously not there. He's totally in shock. Just staring right at me, right into my eyes, just staring at me from, like, a foot away. I don't know what to do. I'm just, oh, my God, what, you know, I'm completely terrified. And then he turns around and faces the other way. And I can see the whole lower part of his back is just completely blasted. All the pants are, like, all, all the cloth is all ripped out and it just holes you can just see holes of blood pouring out. Just pouring out. His whole lower, like right above his ass. Like he's been shot like six times, you know. By, I would say, something more than a 22, You know, like a pretty good-sized gun. And he staggers a few feet away, and me and Matt just run. Because I'm like, there's going to be more shooting. You know, at that, I, there's nothing I can do at that moment. There's nothing I can do for this guy. There's tons of people around. The car just blazed out of there as soon as they shot him. We just ran as fast as we could all the way back to the apartment. We're just like, run in. And the people there and we're like, we just saw this guy that gets shot. And, they're, and the two people that went there, yeah, yeah, we see that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it happens pretty much every day down here. Somebody gets shot. So as it turned out, the guy gets shot. It's really loud. It's right next to the phone booth. I'm on the phone with Dillard, our original drummer. And I go, just like, I gotta, I gotta call you back. Hang up really quick, you know. I didn't call him back. And as it turned out, I didn't talk to him for like a day or so. He had heard the shots on the phone, heard me hang up, but didn't know what was going on. You know, there's no way to call me. And so I didn't call him for a day. He's like, what the hell happened? Thanks to Buzz for the story. Go to ruinousmedia.com to hear more stories from the road. And don't forget to check out our weekly companion podcast, The Check-In. All at ruinousmedia.com. tour stories and i just realized that uh, um it was a big world out there and i had a lot to learn about how things worked it's not like i was back home and in a lot of ways that that tour and the one before that it made me realize that uh um i didn't belong where i was at that i needed to be involved in all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i needed to see it all and uh make sure that uh i didn't remain a naive child and I needed to get harder 
right and yeah. more realistic about how things are and that life is not precious in a lot of ways so you better hold on to and guard it right and realize how how much you have before it's just not there anymore Oh! 